0: Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth, and your phone number to uh, join us if you'd like to is 602-508-0960. 602 960 I got Bill to the right of me and uh, young David to the front of me. I kind of wanted to do jokers to the right and jokers to the left, but you guys are funny. You're just not jokers. Joe Biden has a re-election advertisement that in part has him saying, quote, courage, opportunity, democracy, freedom. They're the values and beliefs that built this country and still beat in our hearts. But they're under attack by an extreme movement that seeks to overturn elections, ban books and eliminate a woman's right to choose. Close quote. Overturn elections. How? Challenging electors in Congress and courts just like Democrats did in 2000, 2004, and 2016? Or is he talking about a group of less than 1,000 people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th? If if he is talking about that, he's running against three ten-thousandths of our population. As for the banning books part, who and where? The very books you can get from Amazon in a day or at almost any bookstore? If there is book banning, you know whose books you can't get that way or even in libraries? Conservatives. They aren't at most bookstores or libraries. Just ask Bethany Mandel or Abigail Schweier or now our colleague Mark Levin. Mark writes this morning on Twitter, quote, Target has informed my publisher, Simon & Schuster, that it will not carry my new book when it is released on September 19th. It claims that certain customers might be offended by the title, close quote. What's the title? The Democrat Party Hates America. That's the title. I wonder if certain customers might be offended by other titles of other books, such as, quote, Blowback, A Warning to Save Democracy from the Next Trump, or Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man, about Donald Trump, or The book Everything Trump Touches Dies, or the book Trump is F-Word Crazy. These are all books that I'm guessing would offend a certain portion of Americans, maybe as many as, I don't know, 74 million potential customers of Target. But they'll be sold everywhere. Let's do talk book bans for a moment, shall we? As Barton Swain put it recently, quote, major publishers have canceled books by authors ranging from J.K. Rowling to Senator Josh Hawley because they ran afoul of progressive sensibilities. Amazon refuses to sell Ryan Anderson's book When Harry Became Sally, a measured and serious critique of the transgender movement. In 2021, the American Booksellers Association sent out paperback copies of Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage on the same subject. Activists targeted the American Booksellers Association, so the trade group issued an obsequious apology for the alleged offense. Yet nobody anywhere says anything about these actual and successful attempts literally banning books. You see, if there's any banning going on anywhere, how's the effort going at not just bookstores, but also college campuses and universities to have anyone who disagrees with left-wing doctrines or transgender athletes competing in men's sports yes there actually is banning going on in america but it ain't from conservatives let's recall joe biden's sentence it opens up with the line quote courage opportunity democracy freedom are the values that built this country close quote is democracy only valid and valuable when it produces results the left wants or the books the left wants We've been speaking about education and its decline in America over the past few weeks, whether it's learning loss in math and reading or misteaching and propagandizing about American history or the efforts of the teachers' unions to keep schools closed as they colluded with government entities to shape government policy to accomplish that. There's an element, another element working here, though. First, you'd think, with the far-reaching declines in math and reading scores that have been revealed over the past few months, that the teachers' unions would be saying and even doing something about that or wanting to. Here's what they are actually up to, quoting from the New York Post. The National Education Association on Monday recommended that teachers include the controversial book Gender Queer on their summer reading lists. The book was featured in the NEA's Great Summer Reads for Educators list that showcased 11 books. Among those books are Genderqueer, White Fragility, a book that insists that white Americans use anger, shame, and guilt to avoid taking responsibility for racial inequality. Other sections include books to help you forget about work and books to celebrate or help you understand Juneteenth. Genderqueer, that's what the NEA is recommending It's readers, for summer pleasure. We've been up and down this book for some time now. It's almost as if this book was written deliberately to cause a commotion or reaction. As the New York Post puts it, genderqueer has courted major controversy among American parents for being in public school libraries throughout the U.S. and has been challenged for its depictions and descriptions of oral sex as well as discussions on a word I'm not comfortable saying. I've discussed the book here before, saying this is a book that even liberal Wikipedia describes in its first sentence on it as, quote, a graphic memoir written and illustrated by Maya Kobabe. It recounts Kobabe's journey from adolescence to adulthood and the author's exploration of gender, identity, and sexuality, ultimately identifying as being outside of the gender binary. Yeah, maybe not the case you want to take or make for pushing Literacy on the Public Dime with the Public Dole to elementary and high school students. Or maybe it is. And if it is, then maybe there's our point precisely being made for us. Are we done, after all, teaching Shakespeare and Mark Twain? And are those authors even known? What else is the NEA focused on? Well, let's take American history The NEA states their goal in teaching history is to, quote, provide an already created in-depth study that critiques empire white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti indigeneity racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, Anthropocentrism and other forms of power and oppression at the intersection of our society, and we oppose attempts to ban critical race theory and or the 1619 Project, close quote. Full stop on that one. Why would they oppose attempts to ban something they said isn't taking place? Why are they opposing attempts to ban something they said was not taking place? Critical race theory. You want to know why our children's scores and achievement levels are plummeting? This. This is why. You want to know why American history scores are at all-time lows? This. This is why. The teachers' unions are about propaganda, not education. Ask any high school history teacher if their history books are written by Howard Zinn and or the 1619 Project, if they use those resources, or if they teach from nonpartisan, unbiased textbooks. Or better yet, still, if they think unbiased textbooks, nonpartisan textbooks are themselves biased because they don't teach, to use the NEA's words, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, cis heteropatriarchy capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of our society, close quote. I take a pause just to think about that phrase that— that toxic salad of words. Think about, you know, the great history professors of, of our of maybe it some of our earlier generations alive and in an earshot or our parents' generations, you know, the Samuel Elliott Morrisons, the Daniel Borston's, the David McCulloughs, the Henry Steele Commagers, the Arthur Schlesinger's even I think, that was great, because do you think they'd have any clue what the heck the NEA is talking about in their discipline? I sometimes feel like I'm overly focused on, or too conscientious about what we are doing to our children, using them and our or their education system to calm adult anxieties. But it makes me angry because we say we care about children here, and we should. And yet we are pushing these children into adulthood with deficits that will soon meld more and more adult problems, not having given children the tools they need to succeed as adults, neither intellectually nor mentally. Instead, we are far more interested in sexualizing and racializing and propagandizing them, again, forcing adult themes into their innocence and natural maturation that otherwise would not be their focus because we adults find it amusing or important to use children for ourselves as our voodoo or pushpin dolls, as our tools of sorcery. The philosopher Hannah Arendt warned about this long ago, writing, The picture of American education looks to me like a fantastic caricature of progressive education, which by abolishing the authority of adults implicitly denies their responsibility for the world into which they have born their children and refuses the duty of guiding them into it. Have we now come to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world? And do we intend to have our political battles fought out in the schoolyards, she asks. And it turns out it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course, yes. She wrote that in the 1950s. When the teachers unions are pushing graphic sex sex novels, ask why. When you are told books are banned, ask where or try and buy those books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You'll have them within 24 hours. Unless they were written by conservatives, but those books won't be on banned book lists. When the teacher's union tells you up front in sharp relief what they are about, believe them. And when we see academic scores decline and the mental health of our children plunge, do not be surprised any longer. There are things we should be shocked about. No longer shall we be shocked about what takes place in public education, or really, I should say, our government schools or the unions that have used them for their benefit and political goals, and not the benefit of children's academic outcomes. Training up our children in their minds and in their morals is a special task, the most important of all tasks. Plato, the philosopher, can be summarized as asking in his book, The Republic, but the two most important questions in any society are the two most important questions any society asks or should ask. They are these. Who teaches the children and what is it they are being taught? I'm not sure we're asking enough questions along these lines these days or even the right questions anymore. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm going to own a couple mistakes, David. Young David, it's not your fault. It's mine. I think I had two in the last 48 hours, didn't (laughs) I? (laughs) I had two. Certainly one of them that I know of. Uh, Welcome back. 602-508-0960. All the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, though I don't think we broadcast any. Um, We will correct if we do, by the way, folks. That's one difference between us and the mainstream media. And uh, we have a... Much smarter audience that will call us to the mat. I have a much smarter producer who can call me to the mat too. How many times if you had to correct me on air on facts? I think we're we're up to four now. No, no, it's at least four. It's not more than four, I don't think. It's but I think four? it is. I think it is. I think it is. I'm not even counting. One of them was a Senate race of yore from 1980. I got the wrong state. I think I conflated North Dakota and something. Yeah, North Dakota and Indiana. I yeah, think. it was Dan Quayle. Yeah, Senate there race. was that, and then there were was one, of, there were a couple. Of, it, it, it was political. It was stuff that you were good. Anyway, folks, speaking of, you know, is there going to be a, did you want to say, yes, you look like you're champing at the bit. Go ahead.
1: I don't, I don't and know. it is champing,
0: by the way. <laughs> it is. Champing and not chomping? Correct. What? Chomping is a deli. Is it? Look it up. Okay. Go okay. on. We'll did you that. have something more to say? Break. No. Oh, no. you you were champing, though. I'm always ready to be on Amazon. Yeah, I I don't even know how you have any energy right now. You've eaten no lunch. You just had a slice of cheesecake. You should be in sugar coma crash mode. Cheese is protein. Cheese is protein. See what I deal with folks? Refractory. Contumacious and uh what else are you? Full of protein. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Recalcitrant is what I was going to say. You guys know the mayor of New York, Eric Adams? In his first month in office, he was confronted with a tragic crisis. Not a laughing matter, by the way. Sorry, moving on. The deaths of two New York City police officers who were responding to a domestic disturbance in Harlem. Mr. Adams, a former police captain who campaigned as a Democratic crime fighter, quickly sought to humanize the killings. The loss of the officers, he said, reminded him of the 1987 line of duty death of a friend, Officer Robert Venable. I still think about Robert, Mr. Adams said at a news conference at City Hall. I keep a picture of Robert in my wallet. A week later, Mr. Adams posed for a portrait in his office, holding a wallet-sized photo of Officer Venable after the New York Times had requested to see it. Mayor Adams has since repeated the moving anecdote in media interviews and at a police academy ceremony as recently as last month where he again displayed Officer Venable's picture. But the weathered photo of Officer Venable had not actually spent decades in the mayor's wallet. It had been created by employees in the mayor's office in the days after Mr. Adams claimed to have been carrying it in his wallet. The employees were instructed to create a photo of us, Officer Venable, according to a person familiar with the request. A picture of the officer was found on Google. It was printed in black and white and made to look worn as if the mayor had been carrying it for some time, including by splashing some coffee on it, said the person who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of retribution. Two former city hall aides who asked not to be identified said they were informed about the manipulated photo last year, not long after it was created. Is the is the Washington Post done with counting lies of politicians now that Donald Trump isn't in office anymore? Do they not do that anymore? Did that all stop? That all just stopped, didn't it? They're not doing that anymore. Okay, fine. Um, they if they wanted our trust, they would do that. I don't have a problem with them counting lies of Republicans. Republicans shouldn't lie. No one should lie. I don't have – now, you looked at those lies that the Washington Post was doing. Some of them were really quite hysterical. I mean just absurd. Some of them were even jokes. But if they if they want us to trust them, if they want us to believe they're not partisan, are they, are, are they ever going to give equal treatment – To Democrats, speaking of the great cocaine story at the White House, great meaning big cocaine story in the White House, you see that this has now shifted. There's now a new narrative as to where it was found. It wasn't where Karin Jean-Pierre said yesterday. In just some, what did she say? Heavily, she she said heavily trafficked, heavily traveled. She kind of corrected for traffic. It was a fun, she could have used traffic. But in any event, she said heavily traveled public area in the West Wing, So it could have been left by anyone. Well, NBC has now uncovered that it was not found in that area that Karin Jean-Pierre described, but in a below story near a a skiff and near where the vice president's car is parked, a much more cordoned off, much more privately trafficked or traveled area in the White House. How long, here's the countdown, how long before the next wave on this story is that cocaine was found at Mar-a-Lago? Isn't that going to be the next phase as this thing gets increasingly uncomfortable? I mean, I say that a little bit uh, sarcastically and maybe a lot bit sarcastically, but this is kind of the way things go, isn't it? The moment it gets just a little too hot for the Democrats, let's go find something on Trump. Okay, we'll be right back. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. China, Russia, India, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, the list keeps growing, are conducting international trade and in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration is sending hundreds of billions abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed, and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Could there be ties to social credit? Own private currency, gold and silver. Now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call Midas Gold Group today. At four eight zero three six zero three thousand four eight zero three six zero three thousand, or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup dot com, dot com. Yeah, on that cocaine story, here's here's Kelly O'Donnell at NBC. You know, I have always liked Kelly O'Donnell. She's not her sister. Her sister, not so much. I've I've always thought Kelly O'Donnell was a A down-the-line reporter, probably lonely at NBC, frankly. She writes, multiple officials involved in the White House cocaine inquiry now say the bag of powder was found in a cubby near the White House West's executive entrance, not the formal West Wing lobby, as was previously reported. Investigators expect to be done with the investigation by Monday, according to two sources. The inquiry was previously expected to take a couple of weeks. In updating the location of where the cocaine was found, officials said that the area was differently trafficked. The cocaine was found in an entrance area between the foyer and a lower-level lobby, the sources. Said the entrance is near where some vehicles, like the Vice President's limo or SUV, park. It it is one floor below the main West Wing offices and the same floor as the Situation Room and a dining area. Situation Room. How heavily trafficked do you think— it is the White House Situation Room. You know what the Situation Room is, right? That's where the most confidential national security conversations and military operations and discussions take place, depicted in you know, various movies. You think that's a heavily trafficked thing from the public? It isn't. What was on this story um, that was so interesting when they said, when the story yesterday was that Study in Politico was that they didn't think they would be able to find the culprit. They didn't think they would be able to find who put the cocaine in the White House or who brought it in the White House. One of my favorite um, tweeters, Rogan O'Hanley, an attorney, said the White House was eva- excuse me the White House was evacuated when the powder was found, and hazmat teams were dispatched to secure the bag of Schedule One narcotics. You have a visitor log of everyone that enters the White House. You have video footage, possible fingerprints and DNA evidence on the bag, and its owner is unlikely to be found? It's like they don't want to find its owner. And why would they not want to find its owner? Fill in that blank for me. This is a, um, you know, there's a there's a great story. Words fail me. I mean, words fail me. If you can think of the restoration of normalcy, the restoration of norms, the restoration of proper procedures and proper practices and openness and transparency and government ethics, all of which was the campaign of 2020 of Joe Biden, none of which I mean, my gosh, not cocaine in the West Wing. Near, near the situation room. And the story has, has changed three times since it was found. And we're not even sure we'll be able to find the culprit. Do you believe this? I, I'm sure there are more secure buildings and more heavily monitored buildings in this country. I'm sure there are. Maybe NORAD. Maybe the CIA. I don't know, maybe a few others, Fort Knox, maybe some military inst- other military installations. But the White House is sure as heck up there. Anyway, okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, one of my favorite people who is the founder and director of one of my favorite organizations. That person is Kim Miller. That organization is Arizona Women of Action, com is their website. They have uh, for being around for just a short period of time in Arizona have been uh, really just uh, quaking, quaking the streets here, and um, shaking up our politics and improving education throughout the state of Arizona, doing just such great work. Kim, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Seth.
0: You guys are now you gals. I literally should say you gals. Uh, you gals are. <laughs> now, <laughs> I really should. I mean, there's no organization <laughs> about who more I should say you gals. You you find women are. Um, are now entering uh, a legal sphere on a really important issue. Tell us what you're doing. You're joining a lawsuit to save women's sports. Talk to us about this, Kim.
1: Yes, exactly. There was a law that was passed last year and signed into law by Doug Ducey, uh, the Save Women's Sports Act in Arizona, and it was instituted um, for that whole reason, just to save and protect girls in sports and public schools so that they would have an even playing field and they would not have to be have the physical risks and the dangers that come when you're playing against biological boys. And that was passed. And then it's just a few months later, we're already being challenged in our state when the people of Arizona have decided, and they decided they wanted to protect girls. So now a few uh, biological boys are suing to be able to participate in girls' sports in the Kyrene School District. And so uh, what's sad and really shocking to me is that our own Attorney General, Chris Mays, has refused to defend the Arizona law that was passed. And he even refuses to fund the defense of that law. So now our superintendent of schools, Tom Horn, is left to defend this. And so he is the defendant, and uh, so is the Arizona Interscholastic Association, the AIA, uh, for people who are familiar with school sports, and and some other people. And we decided, we we looked around, we, we thought, who else is out there defending women and girls as much as we are? And we asked our executive team, do you guys want to intervene in this case? And there was no hesitation. I was so amazed and proud because we knew we were going to be vilified. We were going to be hated and mischaracterized as anti-LGBT and all of that. But we said, no, we, we have to stand up for the truth and just to protect girls. That's what, really what it comes down to, protecting girls' rights.
0: Arizona Women of Action folks, if you want to help them out, their website is azwomenofaction.com. We're speaking with Kim Miller. Uh, Kim Miller is... Um, is their founder and director. Kim, there seems to be a growing list. I'll get back to the merits of this case, but I just have to talk to you about this. I had a, I had our county attorney on yesterday. There seems to be a growing list of laws that have been passed by our legislature and signed into office by previous governors that the current governor and attorney general just by fiat and because they happen to disagree with the people in representative democracy just don't want to enforce or are taking in the case yesterday from the county attorneys the ability to prosecute and enforce these laws, this this is this is a, this is a runaway attorney general. This is a runaway governor. This is this is a violation of not only separation of powers, but representative democracy and things we think we're voting for and getting in our representative democracy. It's really odd, Kim, isn't it? It doesn't it strike you as odd?
1: Oh yes. It's it's so anti American at its core. I mean it, it defies representative government completely and it's a it's literally a dictatorship that's that they think they have apparently that they can just decide, like you said, by fiat. No, we're just not going to honor these laws, but we're gonna pick those and to me, I maybe I'm new on the scene, but I thought that that was part of their oath that they were supposed to represent the laws and the people of Arizona. And, and not defend just them. Yes, that's exactly history. right. You're not yes. new
0: to the scene or you're not wrong to the scene. It might be the first case, though, of some public officials literally doing um, a good job of cutting government, because in this sense, there's just no need to have state legislatures anymore. So you know That's maybe good. maybe 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 give that them that credit. You don't need a state legislature. They've cut out. <laughs> anyway, back to your case, Kim Miller. Um, <laughs> this case is called Doe versus Horn. Uh, tell us a little bit about the parents who are concerned here, Anne and Lisa and Amber, and what their their what what they what what their um, what their point is in this suit.
1: Yes, uh, we have three women who are also um, alongside us in this motion to intervene in this case. And we've also filed a motion to dismiss the case, um, just because we don't even think the case has merit on its own, just even to be, uh, to be in there. But so these women are really concerned. They have young girls. Um, there are, are two women who are in that East Valley area. One's in Maricopa and one's in Higley. And the other one is in Glendale and all of them have daughters and and a few of them have had daughters had to had to compete against boys in certain sports in softball and um, I don't know if it was soccer or the other one but or, or even some volleyball there's yes. concerns right. about that and and it's just dangerous i mean these are all contact sports not baseball as much well right. i mean you could you could make a case for that too but these are you know on one hand it's very dangerous these parents are are concerned about that but also the loss of opportunity right and and the joy of playing a sport where you know you have a, a chance even to make a team, this is going to destroy girls' sports. It's going to destroy
0: state. it. It's going to end it. I mean, I, I think I think parents would be in their right mind to not allow their girls to play in these kinds of things and share these kinds of locker rooms and bathrooms and these kinds of facilities. I, I just think I, I just think it is going to destroy. Yes, by ending it. I think it, I think women's sports will be over here if this if you guys don't exactly. prevail.
1: Exactly, and these women are saying they're going to pull their daughters out, if yeah, that's what course. ends up happening, of course. because it's not fair, it's, it's going to be demoralizing for these girls, it's going to be embarrassing and undignifying to them to sit in a locker room and have to be naked in front of boys sure. or see their you know their bodies, all of it's so awkward in every situation, and even Tom Horn has offered to create a separate co-ed league for for any you know of either biological sex to compete that would be fine we have no problem with that this is not anti any students and we always say you know our heart really truly does go out to these these boys who are or confused or or you know struggling any kid who's struggling over identity issues and sexual issues and things like that that is a heartbreaking thing but this is not the answer to it um and it's it, we are really only trying to defend the girls, and I wonder who is doing that. And they they like to say it's because of Title IX that that they're using that as the reason why these these biological boys should compete. But that completely negates the whole purpose. T- of Title, Nine Title IX
0: was not written for men. It was written to support and build up and strengthen women, particularly in athletics and in education. It was this is a perverse reading of Title IX, if that's there. When's the next? you know that when when is the next thing we'll hear on this? Is there a hearing upcoming or we're looking for a court date soon or what, Kim?
1: We're waiting to hear, and we filed the motion last Friday afternoon, um, and we're just waiting to hear back as far as I know mm-hmm. i'm um, we, we're in contact the the other three mothers and and our group, Arizona women of action, and our attorneys are just trying to stay um, ahead of everything, just paying attention. Mm-hmm. We're trying to talk about it and get more people to know so they can they can write to the attorney general about this. I mean, I would love for people to just send her lots of emails Good. and and, uh, you know, just to get the news out to people right. so that the public's aware of what's going on, what's at, at, at risk.
0: ArizonaWomenOfAction.com is their website, saving girls sports, really saving the idea of women, too, the idea of what it means to be a woman and saving our state, too. You guys are doing great work. Mm-hmm. Kim Miller, it's always good to uh, catch up with you. Thank you for doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you, Seth. Thank you for what you're doing as well.
0: It's a pleasure. Love working with you. I am Seth Leibson, 602 We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show with the stock market's volatility and talk of recession with inflation with bank failures. Where do you go to invest? Well, Refi has an answer. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market, a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Refi, and they are headquartered here locally. You can visit them. They encourage that. They're on uh, the 101 in Scottsdale Road. I've been there. Uh, you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you do meet with the team at Y Refi, you will see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34, 888 y 34, 888-Y-Refi 34. So Just thinking over the break, my interview with Kim Miller about uh, the kids involved in um, in this uh, effort to uh, join women's sports teams. One of them is 11 one of them is an 11-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl. And, um, you know, I just—they have parents. They do have parents. And I i just remember, you know, even when I was as old as 17, before I left the home—before I left home, you know, I had some certain ideas and things I—not like this, but, you know, a few things that my parents— I was part of something called Model State Legislature, and I was thinking of some proposed laws I wanted to get passed. My parents, who, you know, were as progressive as, as they come, even they would say, you know, let's, let's rethink this one a little bit. Let's rethink this one a little bit. Now, that's 17, still not brain fully developed yet. But what do we think we are doing by empowering these 11, 11? What do 11 year olds know? Think about what you were thinking in the 11th grade. Excuse me, at age 11, not the 11th grade, age 11. Just think about that. Fifth and sixth graders, the power we are giving them over the most sublime and important instructions and imprints of nature and history, the power we are giving them to reverse and challenge that, I don't know what they're doing to their bodies physically or their brains. But even if nothing and they're just exercising this, boy, the parents really need to be parenting. That's what they need to be. I say it again. Say it all the time. I'll say it again. We wouldn't have youth problems in this country if we didn't have adult problems. I'm Seth, 602 We'll be right back.